<coughs> excuse me. So uh, the last several weeks, as I said, we've been looking at this uh, idea of church government. Um, we've been spending most of our energy so far um, talking about elders and then likewise talking about the office of the deacon and um, I think what we will probably find and I could be wrong we could have another six sessions after this so this is session number seven on this on this topic I imagine what we'll find at the end of this is that we will have spent most of our energy outlining and understanding these two Offices and the critical difference between them, then we will um, looking at these different um, forms of church government that you can find um, churches operating with today. Um, and I think the reason for that, the reason I've spent so much energy um, on that um, in kind of trying to point out these differences um, is I think what what I would highlight as we go through this um, as we're going to go through this list of various forms of government we're going to identify where we fall as a church today into these and then we're going to think about um, how that aligns with what we see in scripture now I'm going to point out for you a couple of places in scripture Right off the bat, I'm going to quote from the Systematic Theology book um, for essentially the way that he's worded this conclusion here or this kind of argument for a plurality of elders. I think if I, I could certainly draw it out into a number of classes and um, simply by reading what he has, I think we will we will have a more concise and understandable view of this so I'm gonna say up front and this is a challenge that I would challenge us to consider so anytime I say this anytime that someone uses like some phrase that seems exclusive like every like if you said that every person the way that my brain operates is I immediately go looking for the exception because every is a big claim, right? If you said every day you do a thing, that's a big claim, right? Um, if you say every one, like that's a major claim. Um, so I'm going to make one of those major claims today. And the challenge for you then would be to go in Scripture and find the exception to this claim. Um, so that here's the here's the here's the exceptional claim that I'm going to make is that every church that we find in Scripture, every church that we find in Scripture, from the newest church to the smallest church to the largest church, we find with a plurality. Of elders leading that church that there is not a single church in Scripture where it is a single individual leading that church that's a that's an exclusive claim that I'm making there that's a big claim all you have to find is one church where there's a single leader and only a single leader and you make that entire claim 
invalid. Right? So that's the claim that I'm making. So go look and see if that exclusive claim is true. Now, along with that, if every church in Scripture, we find that from the small to the big, from the new, like there's literally only new believers in this church because they just now found out about Jesus and reformed, and we find them with elders being assigned and identified, elders, plural, like that's a, that's a significant thing for us to consider, um, especially when we consider the way that many churches organize themselves today. Um, and the, I think that there are some practical realities or pitfalls or dangers that come when we organize ourselves in that way, where there is a single person that it's all riding on. Okay, I think if we just took a glimpse at churches in our area and you just said, how many are without leaders? How many have no pastor at all in the church? that they struggle to find someone to preach on any given Sunday, that the number of churches that we would find like that would be frightening. It would be terrifying to know that there are that many congregations of believers that have joined themselves together on any given Sunday and that they don't have someone leading them in a direction in Scripture. This should be terrifying to us. I think we also find this um, one of the ways that this plays itself out is that very rarely, and I think this is a disservice to the churches where men serve faithfully for years, very rarely do you find someone step down from that single elder role and remain at the church. Oftentimes what will happen is someone will step down from that role and just by the nature of that everything being, having been on them, feeling this pressure to go and serve somewhere else. We've seen this here. We've seen this here. Um, and I think that that is one of the dangers or pitfalls that comes with having those structures where everything rides on a single individual. And, the, and, and, and when that individual is sufficiently burned out, and steps down, they feel the pressure to, to go somewhere else. Um, but, and that likely comes from a couple of different places, one of which is if you are in a position of leadership for so long that you get burned out by way of that position, that sometimes simply stepping down doesn't relieve you from that because it's like, well, you're still here, right? So, and, and there's like this, like, well, where now do you fit if you still are at this uh, at this place. So um, I think that there are a number of practical realities that come that uh, do a disservice to the church because of those types of those types of positions. And I, there, there is a pure single elder led, um, which we are not. And then there is um, what we'll get into in a bit, which is functionally like that, except there's a somewhat of a facade of, of something else. Can I go, more? yeah, go for it. Uh, as someone who who's felt that my entire life, like uh, since I was 15, yeah, really um, discipled in this way, got groomed in this way. Um, I feel like I have a place to be able to speak into it. A yeah. Yeah. Um, 
idea that you are called is absolutely valid in Scripture, and we see that God has an individual relationship with a believer, and you can at any point hear the voice of the Lord calling you and moving you to a direction. But that has, in the last, I feel like, okay, this is somebody that's 36 years old, within the last, from what I'm seeing, from what I've studied in Scripture, what I've studied in church history, in the last hundred years that it has been exploited to a point of only to where that individual like response to the Lord always trumps and stays autonomous over the, the church as a whole. Yeah. So you can, as an individual, operate as God's called man. That's what I've heard so many times. Yeah. A called man. And that you independently are hearing the voice of the Lord over your life and that you can be, by Him, moved to any kind of strategic, godly way that he, yeah. that he would want, right? And that you're the only one that can actually determine that, right? Instead of submitting yourself to anyone else. And, yeah. Um, that's the key part. And I, I, think that, I think there are probably different things that have uh, caused this pattern to emerge. I don't. I would not lay blame to any one particular thing, but I would say that it seems as though the idea of an evangelist has taken over the idea of a pastor, right? Like that. Like that. Those two have essentially become one. Like that. That. In, in a way that, like, you couldn't even tease out the differences between the two today. Like, I would, the easiest way to put it is that um, it seems, this is broad brush, but it seems that everyone wants to be a Billy Graham type character. And, and not so much the labor, labor namelessly for your entire life in a place for a few people, right? Like, there's, there's, there's a draw towards that filling stadiums that I feel like oftentimes captures the heart of men called to preach to a few. I'm, I'm faced, and I can only, I can agree and also push back because I would feel like I would be one of those that would want to be at a place and be there for a long time. Yeah. They get seen as vocational only through that lens. Yeah. Like they are vocationally, that's their job. They are paid to do it. And when they are not able to fulfill those roles of that vocation, or they don't meet the actual job description that is either either spelled out or underlined, right? Yeah. They're seen as yeah. dispensable or that they're not lining up in a, a job type role, so it's time for me to... And this is there's yeah this is the fault of churches as well as the fault of the individuals that find themselves in that place right and there's to some degree I think that ultimately the fault will fall back onto those who truly were by the Holy Spirit led it, led to be overseers I, I I think that like yes churches can be at fault for like well you're not quite lining up with what we think that you ought to be lined up with so we're going to treat you as a disposable thing go find another church now yes that's certainly 
like the responsibility of the churches that act in that fashion, right? Treating the people that God has given them to shepherd their souls as though that they were simply the the current CEO and that when the stock's not going in the right direction, we'll boot you to find the next CEO versus a shepherd that that's like led by God for your souls, perhaps for the life of that individual. Um, and that, that person, like when we dig into scripture, these are the things that like, it's not always easy because those are like, there's shifts that have to happen in the way that churches think. So what you have to do as a, as a teacher of God's word in that regard, if you find yourself in one of those places where it doesn't align, is that now, how do you, how do you steward the, the thoughts of the church biblically in a direction that more glorifies God if we can get there, right? And not like to like tear down everyone along the way. Not to like lay blame that like, why are we like this? It's the last, like, just like we do presidents. Like it's the last administration's fault that we're here versus like taking ownership of a thing and like genuinely looking for how you press forward in that so like this in this class and as I've been preparing like to teach this that's been part of this like part of my prayer along the way because I, I as we get into this more we'll see where we line up and then I'll say where I think that we probably should be looking to get to um, I want to lay it out with this so this is a quote from the systematic theology book Wayne Grudem's systematic theology um, I don't have the page number. I just took a snapshot of the of the actual quote. He says here, When the New Testament shows us that no church was seen to have single elder, Acts 14.23, we see in every church, Titus 1.5, in every town, James 5.14, let him call for the elders, plural, I exhort the elders among you, 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 1, then it seems unpersuasive, unpersuasive to say that smaller churches would only, ha- would only have, have had uh, one elder. Even when Paul had just founded churches on his first missionary journey, there were elders appointed in every church. That's Acts chapter 14, verse 23. And in every town on the small island of Crete, they were to have elders no matter how large or small the church was. So end quote there. Um, so the thing that I would say is that if we find ourselves in a position where we as a body of believers find ourselves functionally operating as though we were single elder led and scripture seems to indicate that um, the way that the churches um, in the New Testament were organized, were uh, some plurality of elders, then how ought we to think about that? And should we uh, seek to align ourselves with that? Um, I want to lay out a couple of different... So um, as the church from the time of Christ to today has faced its many trials, there have been a number of ways that the church has organized itself. Uh, We're going to look at three 
major categories. Uh, the first two, which we don't fall under, we're just going to mention them and then um, consider the way that they organize themselves. And then we're going to look at the major category that we fall under and then some subcategories there where you can find different modes of operation. And then we're going to explore where we are, um, potential, potential risks related to that, and then um, make thoughtful considerations around um, are there potentially better ways that we could do it. And I'm not saying here, I'm not claiming here to be giving answers of how we, were, how we would get from where we are to there. Um, I think that the, it's clear to see that we would look at Scripture to do so. Um, but there are going to be there would be practical like boots on the ground type type efforts that would need to uh, be used to facilitate that, and I don't I don't have an answer for how how we do that um, or how any church that might would listen to this podcast at some point in the future and find themselves there would get there. That's going to be something that the Holy Spirit would we would we would lean on the Holy Spirit's guidance there. So. Big three categories, Episcopalian, Presbyterian, and Congregational. I'll say that one more time. These are the major categories in which you find um, church governments seeming to um, organize themselves around. So Episcopalian, Presbyterian, and Congregational. Um, I will I will note as we look through these, for anyone who's been through any type of ordination service, here, um, how interesting it is that we use nomenclature that's assigned with a group that we're not in. How many of you have ever heard of the presbytery? Right? <laughs> that's Presbyterian. <laughs> okay. So it's interesting that we use terminology that's associated with, so, with, a, with a form of church government that uh, we ourselves don't align with. Um, I, I just find it interesting because somehow we got from from here to there type thing, and along the way we will hold on to to words uh, that can shine lights on how we got from here to there, right? So um, when we look at the Episcopalian form of church government, this is this would look like a priesthood, right? Uh, so you, the authority of the church is outside of the local church. Um, we won't go into all the details there, but that's kind of uh, at a high level. If you want to think about the Episcopalian form of church government, um, there is a priesthood, and ultimately the authority uh, does not lie within the local church itself, but lies within this priesthood. Um, so the next we're going to look at Presbyterian. Uh, Presbyterian has elders. Elders, some of the local, this is elders within a, within a local church, and then some of the elders from within the local church will find themselves members of a regional presbytery, 
right? This is a group of elders from local churches in the area that join together. Together, they um, there's a kind of this shared authority over the regional churches, and then this bubbles up. So some within the local presbytery would find themselves also members of the general assembly, and there's this kind of from from the local church and the government the governing from within the local church by the elders and then the kind of shared regional responsibility that you would find in the presbytery and that rolls up to kind of a a, a higher uh, denominational level there and that's called the general assembly so um, there's this from the general assembly things would go down to the regional areas into the presbyteries and then the presbyteries would lead um, their local churches and then within the local church there would be um, a body of elders so that's that's presbyterian form there um, I have a presbyterian friend he may or may not listen to this podcast. Um, I was pinging him as I was doing this study, saying how well um, that uh, Grudem represented the Presbyterian view um, in his systematic theology. And he was like, sounds, sounds like how it works. So, so um, the next view, it, or the next kind of way that we would find churches organizing is congregational view or the the con- congregational and here this is how we organize now um, there are different um, forms that you'll find underneath the congregational view so ultimately in a con- in the congregational form of church government the uh, leadership the authority is within the local church um, and to, f- to varying degrees um, the individuals within the local church. So you would have um, everything from single elder, every all the responsibilities on the single elder to pure democracy. You can find anything along that spectrum. So like single elder, they're responsible party for everything. Pure democracy, everything goes to a vote, right? So like you could you find a, a number of uh, ways that that uh, that that plays out. Uh, in different churches, and not every church necessarily fits completely into, um, like perfectly into one of these. Um, so, single elder, um, that's the probably the easiest. You've got one preacher. If some if he gets hit by a bus tomorrow, you are in search for who's going to be leading church Sunday. <laughs> like, like the the rawest form of a single elder would be there's only one person there even that that is qualified to teach God's word to his people. Um, and if he has a heart attack, the church is in is in desperate need of finding um, a replacement. Um, there are other m- modes that you would see this play out, um, like senior pastor, associate pastor type setups where it's like technically there's two right um, but a lot of times even in the uh, senior pastor associate pastor um, it functions much like a single pastor except he's got an assistant right um, other ways that you see this the congregational uh, play out and this is where we most closely align here at Mount Carmel um, is the single elder plus board of deacons type of setup, right? Like today, this afternoon, we're going to have a deacons meeting. And this deacons meeting is not a meeting about who's going to go get 
take care of this person or who's going to go take care of this person this week or we've got this particular need or that particular need. The deacons meeting today is around things that you would typically see elders dealing with, right? Um, So like systems and structures within the church, not widows in need, orphans in need, right? So like um, we here at Mount Carmel function like this single elder um, that's like a hybrid if you have an associate like Corey um, but then um, deacons tend to operate um, in a in a way that is that the lines are certainly blurred between um, what the deacons need to be doing and what elders would typically be doing um, within a church. So that's where we fall. Another way that you see churches organized, uh, we're going to come back to that, by the way. Um, Another way that you would see churches organized is the plural local elders. Um, So this would look very similar to the way that the Presbyterian church has local elders, but there is no formal um, rolling up to a higher organization, right? Like the, like the buck stops here at the local church. Even with, even with kind of this plural local elder, um, there might be associations, and you'll see that, like we're a member of associations um, as Baptist churches, but the associations can't push down doctrine into the local church, right? Where um, in like a Presbyterian model, um, the authority is, is, is Though there's the authority locally, there is there is what is formal doctrine for the church that is outside of the church. And if a church does not align with that doc- doctrine, well, you're not Presbyterian, right? You're Baptist. <laughs> go, go be with the Baptist. <laughs> yes, yes. So you'll see you'll see things like that. Yeah. So with congregational, which is where we fall, you'll find. Some some that have this uh, plural local elders, and this is this is what I would say, probably most closely aligns with scripture, or at least the examples of the way that churches are organized within scripture. It seems like when you look at churches and you look at the early churches approach with dealing with and establishing churches, that elders plural um, is is a common theme there. Now there are practical questions that would come out of that that we're not going to address today. One of those practical questions is how many? Right? Is one or two enough? Is three? Like what does that what does that look like? Uh, we won't we won't get into that today. I would say that it's probably something within each individual church that would be examining this question. It is likely a question that could be answered in the same way that we would answer the question about should we have this particular service or this particular ministry within the church? And we would say, is, is, is there someone that God's called into that and gifted and equipped for it? So like we would look at equipping. We would look at we painstakingly, painstakingly looked at these, um, these qualifications for elders, so that's what we would do. We would we would look and see who who fits the qualifications, and and um, believing that God equips His church for service, um, we would look in that direction. And then you find um, 
kind of this pure democracy um, is another form that you see churches organized under where it's literally everything has to come before the church for a, for a vote. Um, um, I, I, I don't know that you see that anywhere in, in Scripture. Um, Our church of Christ friends out yeah. plural elders. Yeah, yeah, dad, dad came... Yeah, Dad grew up in a Church of Christ, and and that's kind of he's he as as I've had this discussion with him, and he's kind of been listening along um, by way of the podcast because um, I wanted to get his thoughts on it. Like that's come up a number of times. Church of Christ organizes in in uh, the plural local elder type type uh, um, type structure there. Um, so. Uh, when we think about the single elder plus deacons, which is where we're at, how much time do we have? We've got a, a couple of minutes. Um, I want us to think about some of the practical aspects of why this is not ideal. Okay? Um, one, one of which, if, if Scripture gives... Um, a distinction between the two, then the church should give a distinction between the two, right? Um, I think that's first and foremost the reality that if um, and and those that those things should align themselves with Scripture and the responsibilities of one should be the responsibilities of one and not the responsibilities of others. Um, one of the things, and this is going to be me reading into the way that we organize and I've been here for a hot minute right like most of my adult life has been here at this church I've seen a number of pastors come and a number of pastors go I've seen the good times I've seen the bad times um, and for a, for a good bit of that I've been um, a deacon here um, and I also like similar to how how Blake you'd mentioned like there being this um, like when you grow up in a thing you 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 see the inside of it and the way that it works in regards to the way that you were talking about the way that we reflect on calling and what that generally seemed to mean is that if if and I've seen that here right like um, one of and I've seen it even in the even in my own approach to whether or not I'm called to preach has been um, affected by that reality because I, God has in no way ever placed on my heart that I'm leaving here. Like there's not even been a moment where like it was like, yep, you're, you're going somewhere else. And along with that, like, well, that means that if I can't, like, this is a from a young man to a grown man and the whole, like, then in my mind, I'm like, well, I can't be called to preach because that means he's calling me away, right? I can't be, so like, that, like, that is the way that it played out for me. Like, as I've considered that and, and, and like, clearly, even today in class, like, this is, this is a, this is preachy, Right? Um, and there's been a number of times that I've preached, like, for whole, like, lessons through, like, Sunday night services. 
Um, so clearly, reflecting on it, looking backwards in time, he was calling me to preach. He was not calling me to what I thought preaching meant at the time. And he has been, in my, in my life, shaping that. Um, and I would now say that I realized that what he was calling me to, and this is like Mount Carmel, I have been preaching to you in my mind since I was like 2021. I can remember like driving to to like to college and having these thoughts about like things that God was stirring in me as a young man and and like and they w- it would be a decade before some of those things would ever get preached from that point. Um, so I think some of the practical takeaways for me in this is that. This structure and the way that we operate today and the way that we have this idea that like preachers are called so that they can leave a church and go to one of these number of churches that because they were structured in a, in a weak way where they could not survive a pastor leaving, like that's, that's a weak way of structuring yourself. I can say it no other way. Is that you did not you did not grow up from within yourself men who would be called to preach so you were you put yourselves in a place where you would be effectively perpetually looking for a pastor when your pastor fell away instead of looking to grow them up from within and perhaps some of them would be called out but that was not what you were looking for when you were looking for men to be called into being overseers is that you is that the pattern would look like something else right so practically i've seen that internal turmoil so i can speak directly to that and i can tell you that there would be men who would not know that they were necessarily being called to preach because they loved you as their church and wanted to stay with you and the way that they were taught was that if you are called, then you must leave. And I've heard that said before. And I think ultimately as well, like this is one of the reasons that when we see pastors step down, that they don't stay. Because it's like, well, you were called. And if you're not, if you're not the head of a church, then you're working your way towards being the head of a church. As though the church somehow organizes itself like, like the business world. We're not the business world. That's... Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. 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 Yes. Right. No, listen. This is not like these are these are things. These are things. Right. Like we have been extremely fortunate that God has called a number of men to preach 
here. That is a great fortune of, of ours. And, yeah, There's a if you go to other churches and in 30 years nobody's been called to preach, something's wrong. Yes. Yes. So, so the something the something that's wrong is that the Holy Spirit is not working there, because we, you ought to expect in a place where God's Spirit is working as it has been from the time of the early church to now, that if the Holy Spirit's working, He's doing the same thing from generation to generation. That He will call up from amongst those that He calls to Himself some. To this service, he will place, the Holy Spirit will place, and we'll, we're going to touch on this next time, um, because ultimately the person that is, an, that is an overseer, this is something that the Holy Spirit himself did to them. Right? This is like not something that they necessarily picked for themselves. And I'll say this for myself, like it was not, it was not me running from this thing. Um, Along the way, God was showing me something different about, I think, ultimate. Like, we all believe that God's sovereign over all things. Um, this is a teaching that's gone on here for forever. Um, and even in that, like, even in this conversation that we're having today, and all of those moments that He had me struggling with these types of realities along the way, I in no way question whether or not that those things were for today. Right, like those things are for like for today, for these discussions, for these considerations. Um, we'll get into another. Uh, I, I, I'm going to mention it so that you're thinking about it. But I think another um, potential, like practical pain that the church will see uh, if it organizes itself in the way that we've organized ourselves is that what happens is is deacons then find themselves in this like mixed role of deacon elder in which most of their energy is spent on elder type operations and less can be spent on like to, like again today our conversation will not be about who needs what are the widows or what are the needy that need to be addressed it'll be more like structural type things that we'll be talking about um, and if you appropriately had these two roles then the deacons could do what God calls them to in scripture so that the elders can do what he's called them to in scripture and there's not like a like one's above the other there's there again we've made this point over and over and over and over and over is that the character of these men are the same this is not a difference in one's better than the other One's more honest than the. Uh, this this is not the discussion that we're having when we're talking about this. This is a, this is a discussion about um, this call to leading in like this in the function of teaching, right? What we're doing here. Um, so we'll we'll end there. We're way over. Corey's probably in there looking like where where are they at? Um, <laughs> sorry, Corey. <laughs>